Live from... How could you not know where to buy stamps? This is the award-winning stamp show here today. Episode number 192, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. Today we'll be discussing Gold Star Mother's Day, college students can't use the internet, and the Canada E-Commerce Award winners, and we're going to finish up with talking about self-adhesive stamps. So this week, Sunday, September 30th, celebrates the Gold Star Mothers and Families Day, originally called only Gold Star Mothers Day. It was created to recognize and honor those who have lost a son or daughter served in, serving in the armed forces, a gold star symbolizing the loss while serving in active duty. On June 23, 1936, by a congressional joint resolution, Gold Star Mother's Day is designated as the last Sunday in September and is proclaimed, proclaimed annually by each president. It was amended to Gold Star Mothers and Families Day in 2011 by President Barack Obama. The Federal Gold Star Mothers Incorporated was originally incorporated in 1929 and obtained national federal charter from the United States Congress. Starting in Washington, D.C., it soon had affiliates throughout the United States. The history of the Gold Star Mothers dates back to when Army Captain Robert Questioner, hope I got that right, whose two sons were serving on the front lines during World War I, created what has been named the service flag. The flag contains a blue star for each family member serving in the armed forces. When a family member was killed, a yellow star would be sewn over the blue one. Grace Darling Siebold, who was the founder of the American Gold Star Mothers, was visiting the VA hospitals almost daily while waiting confirmation of her son's death, often making herself useful while she was there. After her son's death was confirmed, she continued her work and visited the hospitals and formed the organization that helped unite Gold Star Mothers. The Gold Star Mothers stamp is Scott Catalog number 969. Membership is not required for Gold Star Mothers to access benefits. Please visit military.com for more information. So these, these flags, which could be either paper or cloth, uh, they started out as cloth, obviously, but uh, they could be paper, and they were displayed generally in the window of the home to let other people know as they passed by your home that you had someone serving in the armed forces. Who had died? No. No, the, the, well, the, 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 the gold, the, the, the red the and blue service ones. flag. The, the service, service flag, flag, yes. And then, obviously, if a death occurred, then that would turn gold and you would still continue to display it in your right. window. And that was the famous thing during World War II is you would have the gold right. flag in your window showing that you had given one of your uh, right. kids. And if you had two kids serving, you'd have two stars. Right. Yep. Yeah, star for each right. child. Now, interestingly enough, there wasn't a whole lot of that that went on during Vietnam. It kind of... Yeah. After World War II, it kind of went away, but it came back during the Iraq Wars. Yeah. And you started seeing them, uh, and uh, and also during the global war on terrorism. And you also, well, actually, what replaced it, so it didn't really replace it, but what you, uh, you saw a lot of was people who were tying ribbons around trees when uh, 
Tony Orlando and Don made their song, right. and that was during the um, Vietnam War. And so you didn't so much have the service flags; you had ribbons tied around trees. And when you, it was basically sort of the same thing. Right. Yeah, the uh, stamp number nine sixty nine is a gold colored stamp. Yes. With a large star on it. It's a star with a feather in the background. It's a very attractive stamp, and it's uh, quite a popular topic also. Military well, it, topic. It's, yeah, it's a military topic. So yeah. any any of the that era of stamps that are collected as part of a military collection, would it would certainly fit in there very well. Yeah, did the stamp come out after or during World War II? Uh, I'd have to look that up. Number 969. I don't know what its issue date was off the top of my head. Yeah, I can tell you. I have to. I have to say, as far as stamps of that era, though, this one probably ranks up there with the Iwo Jima. Yeah. Stamp. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Nineteen forty-eight. So after the war, it's issued September twenty-first, nineteen forty-eight. That's kind of interesting. You would think it would be issued during the war. Yeah. Mm. No, because the war effort was the war effort, and they didn't spare a whole lot of effort on making and designing a whole lot of different stamps. Yeah, it's true. You know, well, that was that was the big commemorative era. I'd have to look it up, but if it was originally made in 1929, mm-hmm. that's not some sort of 48 isn't 48. It's is, only like 20 years, yeah. so it's not like they weren't doing like 20 year anniversary. No, stuff no, 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 no. No, this was this was a World War Two. Yeah, thing. this was honoring the people who died in World War II. Yeah. Okay. And also, uh, if you want to see the stamp, you can go to our Stamp Show Here Today website. Down at the bottom, we have pictures of all these stamps. Yes. So, on to some news and notes. Some college students aren't voting absentee because they don't know where to buy stamps. Now, that's pretty pathetic. <laughs> this is an actual headline of an ABC News article and crazy as it may seem, it is true. Well, the finger, art- finger quotes true. The article states that some students in Fairfax County, Virginia, who want to vote, do not mail in their absentee ballots because they don't know where to buy stamps. Officials in Fairfax County conducted focus groups with their interns, with many stating that their friends did not send in their ballots because they either thought it was too much of a hassle or didn't know where to purchase postage. I think number one more than number two. Lisa Connors with the Fairfax Office of Public Affairs told station WTOP, quote, it seems like a hump they can't get across, (laughs) end quote. Despite the apparent inability to manage postage, they said overall college voter turnout is up between 2012 and 2016. While voter registration only rose slightly, turnout actually increased by about 3%. And just in case you weren't sure where to get yours, you can order them from the United States Postal Service either online or at an actual post office. Stamps are also widely available at banks, grocery stores, office supply stores, and pharmacies. But even if you still can't manage to find a stamp, you're not out of luck. The United States Postal Service has a policy where... Unlike regular mail, they will deliver short-paid or unpaid absentee ballot materials labeled as election mail. The agency will charge the election office for the mail and not the voter. Oh, 
I'm mailing so in mine without stamps from I, now on. I knew that was coming from him. <laughs> if anyone was going to say that, I'm like, okay, and they're great. Now all our listeners are just going to not throw a stamp on it. <laughs> hey, well, they're going to mail it anyway. Well, you know, you, you mail an election ballot material, and it's not supposed to have your name anywhere on the, the ballot yep. portion. That's true. So how are they going to know where to return it? Well, and you it is your right as a citizen to be able to vote. And how do you know they just won't trash it? That would be terrible. Yeah. I actually don't think it's a right to vote. As a citizen? Yeah. You can have that right removed by being a felon. But unless you've done something to have it removed, you yeah, are I, allowed I, to vote. I just don't think it's a right like enumerated in the Constitution or anything. Well, it's enumerated in law. Yeah. Yo, it's legal for you to do it. But yeah. yeah. So that issue of stamps came up on the five last week. And the uh, Dana Perino was saying, yeah, the cost of the stamp now is 32 cents. <laughs> and so they uh, they went to commercial break. And when they came back from commercial break, Dana Perino says, I got to make a correction. Stamps are 49 cents. <laughs> Stamp, so, stamps yeah, are so, yeah. fifty cent. Yeah, right. So college college students aren't the only ones that are uh, oblivious to uh, to postage. Yeah, but you would think somebody who is very technologically savvy, able to use the internet like most college students are, you'd think they would figure out at least how to Google where do I buy stamps, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then they could Google where is the post office. Maybe Fairfax County just has a sort of problem here. <laughs> <laughs> worst internet in the nation? Yeah, I, uh, worst something. Well, the solution is sell stamps at the liquor stores. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Campus bookstore probably sells stamps. That is also true. I went to college, and I definitely remember that they sold just about everything of that sort that you would ever dream of needing at the bookstore. I avoided the bookstore. It's too expensive. Well, generally, yes, except sometimes you had to buy books. Yeah, I tried to avoid it whenever possible. Oh, then, I was a poor kid. I, then, I mean, of course, when my parents came to visit, you know, they wanted to buy stuff. I always, oh, you need a sweatshirt that says uh, what college you're in. I always no, waited I until about the second or third week of class to find out if I had to buy the book. Because the books, that, and this was way back then, were like 100 bucks. That was like three or four hundred, five hundred dollars for a book. It's like, sheesh. Oh, I, I always went to the used book section. I know this is total, and I know this is totally a visual thing. But you just said that about no, I don't need a shirt about the college that I'm in. Says the retired Navy guy wearing the "I'm retired Navy" shirt. <laughs> hey, just had to point that one out. You, you, you know, when your parents want to buy you something, you just you let them. You know, somebody gives you a gift, you don't say, "Ew, no." Well, most of the time. Although there was a great, a great joke from, I think it was Louis C.K., and uh, somebody gave him a sweater, and uh, they said, oh, you know, I don't really like it. And he goes, oh, well, you can return it. And he goes, no, I'll just throw it in the trash. There's no reason to make work for me. <laughs> well, the Canada e-commerce awards were announced. Yay! I know Cash is looking forward to this one. Oh, yeah. A few episodes ago, we discussed the Canada Post's e-commerce competition. Uh, we actually discussed it, I think, twice. Mm -hmm. Well, the winners were announced last week, and drumroll, we have the results. The Best Omni-Channel Retailer. This was an award that recognizes brands that have both a physical as well as online presence. 
the winner of the large retailer was Best Buy Canada, and the small business retailer was a fashion and sneaker retailer named Livestock. Would they provide shoes for sheep? Well, Best Buy in the United States. Leather shoes. Yeah. Oh, maybe it was moose. No, no, no. Livestock actually is sort of a Nike knockoff. Uh, Their shoes look a whole lot like Nike shoes. But uh, Best Buy Canada is interesting because Best Buy United States isn't doing so good. And Best Buy Canada actually is. Well, the Pure Play of the Year Award recognized retailers operating predominantly online with little or no physical stores. And the award went to Jeweler, which is J-E-W-L-R, which offers personalized jewelry in the large business category. And I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Cavinus, who makes customized handbags for women for the small business section. The Best Marketing and Brand Experience Award went to Big Al's, an aquarium and pond supply store. And that award was for businesses of all sizes that focus on achievements in customer engagement. Tom, where do you go for your pond supplies? Big Al's. Where else? <laughs> yeah, It cost me a lot to ship it from Canada, though. They are very much like the uh, Pets.com for fish. And uh, it, it's an interesting model that they have. They really have just taken Pets.com, but they are specifically only for fish and ponds and stuff like that, aquariums. And also, that one there, the best marketing and brand experience... We were talking before about Taco Bell winning for the best Mexican food. Oh, on the East Coast, yeah. Taco Bell did not win for the best Mexican food. They won, they won for the best marketing or brand experience of a Mexican food restaurant. So they didn't say that they were great Mexican food. Well, that's good. They said that they are a very recognized brand. So I just wanted to bring that one up because we were talking about Taco Bell and everybody calling people stupid. Well, Cash's favorite award, Yay. most disruptive startup, went to Locke, which is L-O-C-H, which you would think would be a Scottish company. A new business that offers customers alternative eyewear with frames made of 500-year-old reclaimed wood. Wooden. Sun- and now I yeah. really want to check that, check these people out, because I'm like, 500-year-old reclaimed wood framed glasses. Well, what it actually is, is they are wooden glasses. But you they- actually looked this up, didn't you? I looked all these up. <laughs> I, I love businesses and business models. And that's why, you know, the most disruptive when we were, if you remember, it's like, who the hell is disruptive? You know, a nuclear bomb company or a <laughs> nuclear waste provider? Well, and like, and like Greg said, in the modern day, disruptive is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, they make basically wooden glasses. But what it is, is they're like wood that then they coat really heavily with plastics and stuff like that. So it's basically sort of a wood grain glass. But they also make normal glasses too. But the wood grain is sort of what they're being known for now. The Social Impact Award, which is devoted solely to doing good, went to omni-channel business London Drugs for its accomplishments in making recycling easier and more doable for its customers, as well as meaningful partnerships it develops with local charitable organizations. See, this here I didn't understand. Um, Omnichannel is basically uh, a branch sort of of 
Oracle software sort of stuff. It's it's a well, huge. Well, omni-channel sort of, business is a business that has both physical and online presence. Well, no, omni-channel is their name. Is it? Yeah, it's the name, and it's just a huge sort of conglomerate of websites. It looks like or something. It's sort of like an Amazon without an Amazon header on it. So I'm really curious as to what this actually is. Well, I think it was, I think it's just London drugs. Yeah. It's London drugs. Omnichannel earlier was, uh, the Omnichannel retailer, which was Best Buy one. Omnichannel means multiple sales outlets or, or channels of sales. You're, You're confusing. Oh, because there is an actual company called Omnichannel out of Canada. Yeah, that's not this. This is London Drugs. Oh, then why do they call it London Drugs when it's in Canada? There's a can- There's me, a London, I, Ontario. I take it back. I take it back. I knew that. <laughs> so it's not Omnichannel Business London Drugs. It's London L- Drugs. Correct. Damn. And they, I, and they are do-gooders. I didn't look yes. that one up. They're good doers. Well, yeah, but they're recycling Drug a drug company is making Its primary focus is on pharmaceuticals, electronics, housewares, and cosmetics with a limited selection of grocery items. Plus, they do good, eh? Sounds plus, like, plus sounds, apparently sounds like, they have a recycling like, program. Sounds like thrifty or save on, yeah. yeah except with more recycling. Except they have a, a thing for recycling and charity. And charity. Oh, then I have to. Uh, well, I don't know. It says making charity, making recycling easier and more doable for its customers. I'm not sure where that comes from. That means they have a bin outside the front door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they let people put it in for free. Mail us your recycling. <laughs> I don't know, is Canada not a big recycling place, maybe? Across Probably the not as big as California. Oh, it- <laughs> All, all first world. California probably recycles more than all of Canada combined. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get political, but recycling is <laughs> recycling is stupid. Reuse is where you have to do. If you get a plastic bottle of water, reuse the bottle. Especially on no, the because I, I I think that's not true because I think all cardboard wants to be recycled to come back as a pizza box. Oh, I'll bet you you're correct. So, well, recycle. I want to be a pizza box. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All plastic bottles want to come back as flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> Crocs. Some do. <laughs> that might be the ultimate. Uh, I don't want to come back as a croc. <laughs> <laughs> well, the final award, the Canada e commerce award, is a special category in which the winner is chosen for initiatives that advance the nation's retail industry. The award went to Nespresso, which was recognized for creating a fully recyclable single-serve coffee pod, an initiative that is poised to set a new packaged goods standard in environmental responsibility. Oh, boy. Yeah, they're they're competing with Keurig, yeah. They're they're a direct competitor with Keurig, but, you know, Keurig's non-recyclable. Their single-use coffee pods just fill up trash cans. They are not do-gooders. Yeah, yeah. So Cash thinks he's just, you know, refill your Keurig things and reuse them. Well. Reuse, not recycle. Right. Right. Oh, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you Why reuse, not just make a larger pot of coffee? <laughs> if you reused your Keurigs and put new coffee stuff, I am all in favor of that. It's just, you know, I come from California and I dealt with these people. And there was a plastic recycler 
and they took plastic bottles because plastic is really hard to recycle. There's like seven different types of plastic and you have to make sure you don't mix them. So they were recycling plastic bottles, spinning it into cloth and making t-shirts that basically said on the front, this is made out of recycled stuff. The t-shirts cost $12 to make. You can buy a t-shirt from China for like 75 cents. So who is being served? Well, they were because for them to get the $12 shirts, they were receiving like, I forget what, four and a half million dollars a year from the state of California to develop their business. So taxpayers were paying a company to make $12 t-shirts instead of, hey, get on the internet, ship me over a case of t-shirts, how much, 75 cents each, okay, we're all better off. Sorry. I thought he wasn't going to get political. Yeah, uh, I know. Well, I just did. I just did my and, last. And, po- and this topic relates to stamps because oh, it's e-commerce. It's, it's it was the whole- it was Canada Post's e-commerce. Yeah, but awards. What, what were their awards? Oh yeah, what did they oh, win? Oh yes, there the winners got a hundred thousand dollars in free post- shipping. Ooh, and I could use that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it would last me a long time. Oh, and just as a note about being political, I just put up. My new Relics of History on Podbean. It's relics.podbean with an N.com. It's about the patronage system and the post office. So listen to that if you can. I'm going to give myself a plug here. Insert shameless plug here. Well, now we're going to discuss self-adhesive stamps. What is a self-adhesive stamp? Well, obviously it's not something you lick and stick. Apparently not. Or would it self-adhere to your tongue? Well, technically, hold on. If you lick a stamp and stick it, that would be self-adhesive because you're doing it yourself. No, that requires two things, the stamp and your tongue. Self-adhesive, you could just be by yourself. Oh, so you... You don't need a tongue. Or you don't need a stamp. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think since we're we're talking about self-adhesive stamps, you do need a stamp. (laughs) Well, self-adhesive stamps are stamps that contain a pressure-sensitive adhesive in order to affix the stamp to an envelope as opposed to the traditional moisture-activated gum. Because, you know, some people don't lick them. Yeah, get real technical there. Sorry. (laughs) I didn't pass a chemistry. I didn't pass college chemistry. I'm sorry. uh, Can you explain activated gum? You get it wet. The first self-adhesive stamp was issued in 1964 by Sierra Leone in an effort to combat humidity that tended to cause stamps to stick together. Scott numbers 257 to 263 are a map of Sierra Leone and a lion that was issued during the New New York World's Fair. Tonga followed suit in 1969, issuing Scott numbers 222 through 226, and yes, the Tonga stamps are a banana. Yeah, a self ex, uh, self-adhesive banana. Yeah, we don't have enough banana-shaped stamps. Yes, we need more banana-shaped stamps. We print me yellow and call me banana. Hashtag banana-shaped stamps. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, it wasn't until 1974 that the United States entered the self-adhesive game by issuing Scott number 1552, the 10-cent Weathervane Peace on Earth Christmas stamp. Uh, what? Yes. 
The okay. weather vane piece on Earth's Christmas stamp. With rousing success. Not so much. What stamp was that? It's white, and it's got a picture of a weather vane. With weather vane. And some kind of and bird. It says peace with a bird on Earth. On it. And it says Oh, that's what Earth. I was thinking. It's the white one, and it's the bird. It's a weather vane. It's a weather vane bird. A bird shaped as a weather vane. It's not a bird brain. It's a bird vane. That's an, it, it, well, let me see. Let me see. I always thought that was just a bird. There you go thinking again. It's a weather vane bird. Okay. I, I learned something. This stamp, however, was not without issues, as the self-adhesive gum has a t- had a tendency to cause discoloration of the paper, and thus was not a hit with collectors. The Scott catalog even has a footnote that the pricing for this stamp is based on discolored paper. Not only that, but they don't stick to the paper after a while. Well, the gum- I've, I've actually had full sheets of those, and, but um, they they were uh, they had uh, a die cut in the fa- in the shape of a, a cross or a plus sign in in the center of the stamp and that was because it was thought that you couldn't remove the stamp because it was self-adhesive so you couldn't u- uh, use it and reuse it because they didn't want you to just peel it off the envelope right and that would that was so that the stamp would tear rather than peeling off and i always had a big problem with these because the gum on them is so terrible. You know, it, we buy discount postage. Right, but you know, I never... It's tough to use these things because they'll fall off the envelope. I never... Now now that we use pure citrus to take our self-adhesive stamps off, I've never gotten the opportunity to actually try that on one of these older stamps to see if it would work without damaging the stamp. I have a funny feeling it would fall off the paper just by bending it. Well, probably now if it was used back then, but yeah. I mean, if you if you had a sheet of them... Or, or, or actually, we're some. actually going to discuss that too. Eventually, well, there were collectors that recognized that the adhesive was the wrong kind, and they actually removed the adhesive at the at the time that it was issued. And I have about I don't know nine or ten of those uh, of the stamp that have no gum, but they are pure white. I've seen pristine condition. I've mm-hmm. seen blocks that are like post office fresh. They're pure white. They stick well and everything. But they are incredibly rare to find. It's sort of like a, a comparison of the German Zeppelin stamps and the Astropa sheet. They get the gum like leatherizes the paper. But you can find them where the gum is really nice and still, you know, there's a little browning and the paper is still nice and white. I don't know. It's just the way that it's stored or something like that. Yeah. I, I remember the first time that I found a collection that had one of these used in it, and somebody had gotten it off without damaging, and it was still pristine white, but mm. it had a cancel on it. And I was like, because I was collecting used modern stamps, and I was like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't buy the collection fast enough. I bought it for that stamp. <laughs> Well, it would be another 15 years before the United States would venture back into the realm of self-adhesive stamps with Scott number 2431, the 25-cent Eagle and Shield. Another big hit. Yeah. Actually, I like that one because they're 25 cents. You can put four of them on for uh, – or five of them on for uh, national – or uh, for worldwide – For worldwide shipping. Ah. And uh, – put two on for a first-class letter. Yeah. And, Today. But those sheets that they made, they're like – ATM size and they're just perfect size. No, they did actually, everything good actually, for those. the eagle 
is not ATM size. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger. Oh, it's, it's a little bigger. It's wider. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, still, this yeah, I didn't get them out of an ATM machine, but you know, they're just like perfect size and they're easy to peel off. They're they're the they're the best stamp from a standpoint of putting stamps on an envelope. But they did not have the uh, die cuts like well, the. They had like a straight. They had like a oh, half they, they an were, inch gap between. They were they die were, cut, they, but they didn't have. They, they were all squares. They didn't right. have serpentines like we yeah. do today. Right. Well, they, I think that's that may have contributed to the fact that they were so unpopular because they didn't look. They looked like labels or something. Yeah, could be. I like them. The United States would continue issuing only about one self adhesive stamp each year after. All of the stamps issued were die-cut squares until the first self-adhesive coil stamps were issued in 1996 with Scott number 2902B. Which had fake perforations. No, it had serpentine die-cuts. Well. I mean, it was, 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 I I guess you could call serpentine die-cuts fake perforations, but it made it look like a stamp now, though. Yeah, simulated perforations, I believe is what they called it. That's a better word than fake, I guess. I believe that was the bulk rate stamp, right? Uh yes, there's a picture of it down here. Nonprofit. Huh. It's actually USA Nonprofit. And again, go to the website and you can scroll down and see everything that everybody just scrolled down to look at here. Yes, exactly. More and more stamps were issued as self-adhesive, and by 2002, almost all stamps were issued this way. Even though most stamps were self-adhesive, postal regulations still required that these stamps have a water-soluble layer between the stamp and the gum. So even though the stamps had pressure-activated gum, they could still be soaked off in water, as collectors have been doing for almost 150 years. Yeah, that reminds me of the one that really was an ATM stamp. It was a 25-cent uh, flag, a long right. stamp. And, but it was actually printed on a, a plastic vinyl. Yeah, it was yeah. printed on vinyl. And, and I those rem- were issued by ATMs. Right. And those you couldn't soak the paper off, but you wanted a mint I re- or used. I remember soaking it so that the paper would sort of disintegrate <laughs> and then literally scraping the paper off because you wouldn't damage the plastic. You'd just scrape it off with like a knife or a razor blade. But that was a weird stamp. Very durable. That was issued specifically for... Uh, through uh, yeah, a certain bank. Uh, yeah, um, uh, Pacific. Se- uh, Seattle First National? or Well, I was in Cal- California. It was uh, Pacific. They got bought out. It was Crocker Bank, whatever, whoever bought Crocker yeah, Bank. The, there yeah, was, there was a num- uh, of small number of banks that were allowed to sell these through their ATM machines as a test. Yep. So they sized the sheet to be the same size as a, a dollar bill. And then so we'll, that it could be issued through the ATM machines. And I forget which ex, or tooth or oh shoot, I forget which stamp show it was, but it was in uh, Anaheim. Stamp show here today. Yeah, <laughs> and they had the Avery um, specimens for the ATM sheets, and they were giving them out at the uh, stamp show. Okay. It was a big stamp show. I forget which one. Okay, both you you need to you need to stop because you're like nails on a chalkboard it's an atm automatic teller machine it is not an automatic teller machine machine stop saying atm machine You're killing me <laughs> both of you 
That's like the VIN number on your car. Yeah. Uh, stop it. <laughs> okay. So was, you are correct. Slat stamp was issued 25 cents and also as an F rate, correct, 29 yeah. cents. Yeah. Correct. And they're plastic. And I hate them. <laughs> I always thought the they F were rate cool. stamps. I think they're cool. Well, I, th- I think if you try to use them for postage now, the plastic is so old that it's hard to peel from the backing paper. Oh, it's impossible. Is embody those things are. Oh, like, I thought you were just talking about lettered stamps in general. Oh, because yeah. I was like, try and put try and put a lettered stamp on the thing now, and they're going to go. How much is this supposed to be? <laughs> a B C D E F. So six cents. First, first interstate bank, and, I, and now I remember because when they came out, I got one, and it was a cut square because you couldn't soak them off. It was a cut square, and on the other side, they had. The printing from the inside of the envelope, and it was First Interstate Bank envelope. So it was a First Interstate Bank ATM stamp used on a First Interstate Bank envelope. I wish I would have had the whole envelope, though. I still have that stamp. The USPS, however, abandoned the requirement of the water-soluble label and started in, starting in 2006. You did or- it again. Stop. You called it a label. The water-soluble label. Is not. Oh, did I? Oh, yes. layer. <laughs> yes, layer. I should leave all this in. This is funny. <laughs> the USPS, however, abandoned the requirement of the water-soluble layer starting in 2006. Stamps were no longer required to be soakable. So collectors really loved that new rule. Yeah. I'm sure they did. What's interesting is one of the printers still does use uh, paper that is soakable. And that would be? Um, I don't know off the top of my head. Oh, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> Here's a fact. I just can't but give I you do the know, But I do know that the Scott catalog uh, a couple of years ago started putting uh, little markers next to the stamps that are not soakable. A red S. A red S that in, actually, the, in the listing. That goes way back. In the well, Oh, you mean the catalog just started listing it? Yeah, they started adding it to the catalog listings. Uh, a few years ago, to warn you not to try and water soak those particular stamps because those particular stamps would not do well. So obviously some are marked and not all of them are marked. So some are and some aren't. Further uh, gathering the collectors in their corner, in 2015 the Postal Service announced that they were going to convert all stamps to self-adhesive format, thus eliminating moisture-activated gum completely. According to the Postal Service, this change was due to the fact that paper with moisture-activated gum had come to the point where it could only be imported from overseas, and the cost per stamp was more than double that of pressure-activated adhesive to manufacture. I guarantee that's because nobody in the U.S. wanted to bother manufacturing it. They were all set up for self-adhesive, which is what most other businesses want. They couldn't have had to come from that far. I mean, Canada still manages to print their stamps. A lot of countries do. But Canada is a really good example. Yes, they do have self-adhesive stamps. They're not overseas. They, They're like I know, but they do sell a lot theoretically. of uh, most of their stamps. Well, you could get not. there by sea, though. Go. You could. Yeah. Most of their stamps are not self. Are, are most of their stamps are water activated gum. You could go overseas, but you could go overseas in a rowboat. Yeah, well, Lloyd, one of his uh, bu- on his bucket list is to drive his car to France. What Quebec? Yeah, no. Uh, above Quebec is. Uh, or Michelle, uh, 
I forget what the name is. Michelle, right? Uh, Saint Michelle or Michelle. Uh, somebody's going to. I'm going to have a cash correction here. Anyway, Michelle, my bell. <laughs> it it it's uh, French. It's a French province in Canada, and you can drive there with your car. So you could drive to France because it is part of France proper. Interesting. Hmm. Saint Pierre Miquelon. That's it. That's it. <laughs> So how does a collector today collect self-adhesive stamps and ha- that have no ability to be soaked off in water? Well, you can always resort to collecting used stamps on piece, which some people do, but I think most loathe it. Well, I, I've taken to just throwing them all. I cut them off the envelopes, and I throw them in a big box, and I now have about Let 83 else. boxes. <laughs> Let somebody <laughs> else do it. <laughs> well, I just never got around to it. Future technology, take care of this for me. Some folks have recommended using either Bestine or Benzene to remove the adhesive, which, if I remember correctly, I tried both, are... and they are horribly, horribly toxic and difficult to work with. And not very effective, yeah. Yes, and not, fec- not effective. I know a person who was using uh, lighter fluid to remove them. And it's like, dude, yeah, I mean, come on, you're, you're using a huge amount of lighter fluid to remove a stamp that can't be good for you the stamp the environment anybody well, see, I, was actually, I tried bestine and when i figured out that it didn't work which didn't take more than one try i couldn't get rid of the can of it nobody <laughs> no recycling place would take it wow and of course you can't dump it in the garbage or anything yeah. or down see, the sink so see i would have thought lighter fluid too because when i was like in my early teens, one of my first jobs was at, a, was at a gift store, and we sold picture frames. And one of the big things we'd always did for people, they were buying it as a gift, and they wanted us to remove the labels and the tags and stuff. So we pulled the labels off, and we had a bottle of lighter fluid, and we'd pour a little on, and the adhesive would rub right off. Yep. So ever, I always thought that would be a good solution. Did you ever solution. use a product called Goo Gone? Goo Gone. Isn't that Doesn't, for shoes? Yeah, it's, yeah. I think the, the citrus oil is much better than Gugan. Yeah. Well, that's what uh, exactly. other people have recommended was using a natural citrus-based solvent containing D-limonene. And, Ask for it by name. <laughs> and in our opinion, we recommend using a product called Pure Citrus Orange, which is actually an air freshener. Actually, you can use Pure Citrus Lemon, too. It doesn't matter. No, probably, yeah. probably has the same ingredient in it. Yeah, it's the same ingredient, just smells different. <laughs> I don't know. You spray enough of it, it doesn't matter what it smells like. It's terrible. Yes, yes. I made the mistake of uh, using it as actually using it as an air freshener at home. My dog didn't like it. It was way too strong. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't go in that room for a week. Yeah, we have a YouTube on this. Go to YouTube and uh, type in Stamp Show here today. And you'll see our uh, YouTube for uh, using pure citrus. It stars, uh, I forget who it stars, some some dashing gentleman. Uh, they're uh, removing stamps. I forget whose name it is, though. No. I don't think he works here yeah. anymore. Yeah, he's long gone. <laughs> well, spraying this on the stamps and allowing it to soak will help soften the adhesive, allowing it to be lifted from the envelope. You can then carefully peel the stamp from the piece and scrape the remaining adhesive off, which you should do. Oh, yeah. Because if you don't, it'll dry back up, and it's still very tacky. Yeah. It turns it into rubber cement. I've seen, I've seen stamps that have come in uh, in cards, and you go in and you go to take the stamp out of the card with the tongs, and you darn near rip a perf off or something because the person hasn't removed all the gum and it's reattached itself. 
Now, I have seen people take uh, baking soda or talcum powder and basically coat the back of the stamp so that it's no longer sticky. That's exactly I do, what I was going to suggest, though, and I do I don't do recommend that. that. I do. I use talcum powder because I know it's inert. But it also, it, it's it's granular. Even, oh, no, even no, no. A very, it, it's even so on a very Even on a very slight level. And it, I, I hate to get stamps like that from somebody else because the powder just gets everywhere. It's obnoxious. I, just well, clean not, your stamps it, they're properly. They're not doing it right. First, I, I use a you razor clean blade. your stamps properly, there is no adhesive residue. There is no There still tackiness. might be a little bit of tackiness. Not if it. you do it right. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I don't agree, but sure. And it makes the back of the stamp smooth as a baby's butt. <laughs> a fair warning, though, because the citrus oil can affect the cancel, causing it to smear. Use caution if you want to preserve the look of the cancellation. Oh, yeah. The po- U.S. Postal Service now uses what they call a spray-on cancel. And that ink does not sink into the, the stamps because a lot of the stamps are... <laughs> <laughs> It's there. <laughs> a lot of the Cash st- had to sneeze, and we stopped talking, and he went away. We scared the sneeze away. Uh, a lot of the stamps are on coated or pre-phosphor, uh, not the pre-phosphor, the, they're on coated paper, which does not uh, hold the ink very well of the cancel. And therefore, not just the pure citrus oil, but other solvents as well can cause the cancel to run. I destroyed, well, I didn't destroy, but I really damaged one of my favorite stamps that I got. I got a uh, one of the pre-printed labels from the post office with Spider-Man on it, and I removed it with pure citrus, and the... All uh, the black ink. Yeah, you have Spider-Man, but next to Spider-Man is you have the date and the right. city and, and it everything. all went away. Yeah, it all got all fuzzy and ugly, and it's like, oh, I yeah. ruined my stamp. Yeah, that's another thing with the... Uh with the online printed postage stuff and the labels that you can get out of the, the postal yeah. the self self service centers in the post office. They don't do well with the pure citrus. Yeah. I have a full set of the uh, Charlie Brown ones and I just cut them off. I go, I know someday there will be technology where I can remove the paper. Otherwise right. I'll just keep what, it. What I do uh, as far as the cancel goes, um, I spray the front of the stamp. If I want, if I, if I'm not really, Con- too concerned about the cancel i'll spray the front of the stamp and the, the the cancel will get all runny but i'll just blot it yeah and that way it doesn't smear all over the all over the stamp uh another way would be to make sure that you have uh an absorbent underneath your stamp spray the back and hopefully it doesn't smear on the front of your stamp but you got to be careful because any movement of the stamp is going to cause a smear so even if you spray the stamp from the back, I figured the coated paper wouldn't. Well, it the, eventually the oil soaks soak through. It actually soaks all. Oh the, yeah, it does. It does. Oh, it really? soaks through yeah. the gum into the paper of the stamp as well. It just takes a little bit longer. If you're careful, you might be able to catch it before it gets to the cancel. On the next, who wants to be a millionaire show? <laughs> the guy. The Shark guy who. Tank. The guy who invented a non-toxic, non runny cancel causing thing to product to remove self-adhesive stamps (laughs) while collecting mint stamps is much easier but you have to be vigilant when separating the stamps from whatever their issued format 
as the stamps essentially now come in two parts. There is the stamp itself, and then there's the backing paper to which it's mounted, protecting the adhesive. The stamps are serpentine die cut, but the backing paper is often only rouletted in order to prevent the sheets from falling apart, because I wondered about that at one point in time. It's like, how do they do this and make them tear apart? Because wouldn't they just, sheets just fall apart? But I know better now. (laughs) The rouletting and the die cuts don't always match up, potentially exposing the adhesive, which could cause perforations of the stamp to get stuck to another surface. Have you guys ever experienced that? Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's not even close. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, but one thing you have to remember, for a stamp to be considered mint, never hinged once you remove it from the pane, you can't adjust the position of the backing paper. It has to be where it was when it was printed. So when when you separate it, if you have one that's that's significantly off. You need to go find another one, another sheet, because that's not going to be like you said. the The adhesive is going to be exposed on one side of the stamp. Also, if you move it and center the backing paper, technically it's not considered never hinged because you have removed it mm-hmm. from the backing paper and then reattached it. And, and also, a note: if you hinge the stamp on the backing paper, it's, it's not. Hinged. It's hinged. It's not never hinged. Right. Just because it's not on the gum doesn't mean it's not never hinged. Correct. Well, and part of the reason that we bring that up is because if your intention is to have a self-adhesive stamp like this graded, the location of the backing paper can have an effect on the grade for that exact reason. If the rouletting does, if the backing paper doesn't line up, it can take a well-centered stamp and reduce the grade on it. Well, because it affects the eye appeal because now you have backing paper sticking out one side. And I, I actually uh, had a had one come in where uh, I sent a note back to the customer. Hey, you, this stamp lost eye appeal uh, because of the backing paper sticking out. So he took a an exacto knife and he trimmed off the backing paper so that it was <laughs> and sent it back for grading. He says, "Now you've damaged the backing paper. Now it's even worse." Well, Scott, can you take say a block of nine? Uh, from a booklet pane, remove the outer eight, and then just have the your the graded stamp in the center, and then send that in. Would that get a hundred? Well, excessive get excessive quantities of backing paper. Uh, as long as it was close trimmed, obviously you don't want to clip the 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 simulated perforations. But you know if you if you have maybe a millimeter, a couple a millimeter, two millimeters, something like that, all the way around, it's nicely so framed by backing paper. Yeah, yeah, that that would be fine. Okay. That would be fine. And that would actually solve the problem of, you know, having the rouletting being off-center a little bit. Because now you have backing paper sticking out, or you have original backing paper that hasn't been removed sticking out on all four sides, so it doesn't affect the eye appeal. Just don't clip the perfs. I think, actually, it improves the eye appeal. I think it looks nicer. Yeah. It it gives the stamp a nice framing. I haven't seen Mm -hmm. somebody actually do that yet. I've done it. I well, I haven't showed you some of my older stuff, but you'll I've, you'll I've see it that. as uh, the new issues start getting yeah, submitted. That's how more. I put my uh, self-adhesive stamps yep. in my album. Oh, really? Album. Yeah, nice. I, I do that. Yeah, one of my big complaints with the post office is they issue these stamps in, as commemoratives in booklet panes of twenty, and every single stamp has a straight edge, which means you can't basically f- 
do the, exactly what you're right. talking about and frame a stamp with backing paper, you're always going to have a straight edge. And I don't like the way that looks. So right. I always have an issue with the post office when they do that. Well, I like the, um, the Civil War issue that they came out with. Every year they had the Civil War sheet. So you have the stamps on the front. But on the back of the sheet, you have two other stamps that are set there. Yeah, funny thing. A lot of people didn't notice those. Yeah. So they just threw them away. Yeah. So there's two stamps on the back. And you can cut those out and make really, really nice stamps because it shows the paper all around it. There's no stamps next to it. And so you can make some really, really nice stamps out of that. I wish the post office would do that with more issues. You know, the problem with that is that um, the Scott Catalog pages um, show that particular stamp as um, one above the other rather than side by side. And on the back of those Civil War sheets, they're side by side. Well, yeah, they're side by side, but they're not touching each other. They have, you know, like about three quarters of an inch between them. Right. It's a really, really nice setup on the back. I just wish they do it more often. So though all U.S. stamps issued today are self-adhesive, they still be, can be collected. They just require a little more work, I think, than they used to. Well, another interesting thing is the duck stamp that we talked about last week. This is the first year that they only issued self-adhesive duck stamps. Right. They got rid of the, the uh, water-activated issue, and they went to it, which uh, I'm surprised it's a long time in coming, but... It was just a surprise when they decided to do that. I have to throw in a quick duck stamp note since you brought it up. Okay. My father-in-law came out to visit um, this weekend. He was on his way to Oklahoma, and we were talking about the duck stamp, and he had he had one. He had bought his because he's going out to Oklahoma to go hunting. And I said, "Oh, cool!" And he says, "Yeah, I didn't want it to get I didn't want it to get damaged. I don't want to put it on a license or anything and and, and sign it yet." And he pulled it out of his wallet, and it was the single sheet. And, of course, he had it folded in his wallet, so it was like the stamp <laughs> The stamp was fine, but the, the, the overall portion of the sheet was folded. And I'm like, I hate to tell you, but <laughs> it's damaged already. <laughs> yeah, it I also said, has a uh, plastic coating over the duck part of the stamp, which is new. Oh, it makes the duck shiny. Yeah. It's a shiny brand-new duck. Another, another interesting thing about the duck stamp that I noted when I examined the sheet is if you use a, a tag light, the a UV light, it uh, there's a shadow underneath the wings and the tail of the duck that glows, and then also in the plate number there's a there's a tagged plate number there's a luminescent plate number that you can't see without without the UV light. So when you look at the paint, it looks like there's wait a minute there's I think it's three or four ones and the and the Four, four ones. Four ones in the letter. There's actually five ones there because one of them is in tagging ink. And you can <laughs> only see it with the tag light. <laughs> well, we have no new issues this week coming out. But I would like to bring up, since we discussed it recently, the Canada Emergency <laughs> Responder Stamp. I know. I'm sorry. You know, I get a gorgeous stamps. They're really pretty stamps, and I'm going to include a picture this week. They came out with a sheet of five at Canada Post that has the five stamps, but it also has like the complete portions of some of the background images as the, the setting to the sheet, and the colors in this thing are just amazing. Yeah, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous sheet. 
Yeah, it beats our first responder stamp. And like I said, when I first saw our first responder stamp, it was a cool. It's a cool stamp. I mean, it's one of the better ones that I think they've put out in a while. But like we said last week, anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> you know, Canada just trounced it. It's beautiful. The sheet is amazing. So, if you want to see the actual full sheet of all five stamps, it will be on uh, stampshowheretoday.com. Upcoming shows, September 29th and 30th, we have the Stamp Coin Cover Postcard Collectible Show in Clifton, New Jersey. That's uh, clifton-stamp-society.org for their website, and that's a lot of stuff at one show. Actually, there was a big discussion on this, uh, not only on social media, but in some of the magazines about people, or excuse me, about stamp shows putting coin dealers and other dealers of stuff inside of their shows to draw younger people in a more diversified audience. If you're interested in it, do a little search in like Facebook or something. Uh, it's a really interesting conversation. September 29th is Stamptoberfest in Perrysburg, Ohio, and that is ToledoStampClub.org. Stamptoberfest should be in October, not September. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> September 29th and 30th is Memphex Stamp and Postcard Show. I'm not sure if I... It's Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. I'm not sure if Memphex. It's yeah, hard that, to pronounce. That, no, that's me what it is. Memphex. I've, I've been to that show. I uh, My mother takes Memphex, I think, for an infection. No, that's Maalox. Oh, <laughs> Their website is memphisstampcollectorssociety.org. That's and actually a pretty small show. There's only about six to eight dealers. But what was interesting, when I went a few years ago, they had exhibits down the... They had, I don't know, maybe 10 frames of exhibits. And one of the, one of the exhibits was a guy just showing a complete duck stamp collection. Oh, cool. Nice. I mean, well, back, that's what they way used back to be. in the day, yeah, yeah they, that's you what just they put your do. album pages up there and you showed your collection. But that's kind of what he did. He, he put his collection pages up and he showed his duck stamp collection. That's cool. Yeah, that, they used that to say. That was totally old school. Take, take uh, 16 pages out of your collection and put it up as the exhibit, and that's how people used to do stuff. Yeah, it was it was totally cool. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you for listening. This has been Stamp Show here today, episode number 192. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.